My name is Gary, and I'm, uh, I have the privilege of being one of the under-shepherds uh, here at Christ Community Fellowship. And uh, about five weeks ago, I uh, taught about half of Psalm 22, and uh, the other elders asked if I would finish up that psalm, so that's what I'm going to work on this morning. So if you would please turn to Psalm 22. I'll be using the New International Version, although we're going to correct a couple things there. Um, I know people tell me that I have the, the NIV is referred to as the nearly inspired version. It's not quite God's word. I still use it, um, but uh, you can think of me as less a Christian because I use it. That's okay. I got to warn you, if you're new here, um, I do have a sense of humor. So if I say something slightly off, you can dismiss it to that and reject me forever. So, uh all right, let's pray before we start. Dear Lord, we thank you for keeping Psalm 22 alive for us and passing it down for 3,000 years and giving it to us from halfway around the world. This is amazing to me that you would do this for us and we see it fulfilled. We see the person of your son in his suffering and in his victory. Help us to, through your spirit, to see him as he is, his message, his mission, how we can know him better and be part of his worldwide mission. In Jesus' name, amen. So I've looked forward to finishing this psalm uh, that I taught a few weeks ago, and I want to share with you what God has been teaching me uh, through the rest of Psalm 22. But first, I would like to review uh, the first part uh, for those who weren't here, and I want to refresh the memories of those of you who were. <clears throat> so, sorry, I got a booster shot for the Moderna vaccine, and it's given me a little shakiness. Uh, I don't know if some of you have had that yet, but... so. Uh, yeah, that'll teach me, right? Okay, from Peter's preaching at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, verse 30, we learn that David was a prophet in addition to being a king. And there is nothing in Psalm 22 that correlates to anything that I could find in David's experience. And in fact, we see many fulfilled passages in the death of Jesus in the Gospels. From the start, we see the disoriented cry that came from Jesus' lips, fulfilled in Matthew 27, 46, which says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus is utterly alone on the cross. His familiar, close relationship with the Father has been severed, causing him more pain than a lash or crown of thorns. He tries to reorient himself by reminding himself of God's character and his faithfulness to his people in the past, but is jolted back to the present by insults and mocking by the very people he is suffering for. They hurl his own words back in his face and taunt him to come down from the cross, and then they will believe, but they won't. This is described in verse uh, 7 and 8, which read, all who see me mock me, they hurl insults, shaking their head. He trusts in the Lord. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. 
And this is fulfilled in Matthew 27, verse 39 through 44, which reads this way. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, you are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days. Save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the son of God. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law and the elders, he saved others. We're at Matthew 27, 42, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. He, for he said, I am the son of God. In the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. So we see in these passages that we covered from verse 1 through 18, a number of prophecies about Jesus that were fulfilled when he went to the cross. This is a thousand years before it happened. And we see in these passages a Roman execution, um, not a Jewish stoning. This is described in, in detail. So the Romans would put their victims through a brutalizing, humiliating torture so that they would be feared across their empire. We recognize verse 18, which says, they divided my garments among them and cast lots from my clothing, as fulfilled in John 19. But beyond the fulfillment of prophecy, we see the inner thoughts of the one who is enduring the crucifixion. If we look again at verse 14 through 18 from the standpoint of Jesus, describing his own personal experience. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is turned to wax. It is melted away within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs have surrounded me. A band of evil men has encircled me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. So he is understandably exhausted, terribly thir thirsty. He was utterly humiliated and completely alone. To the Romans, this was one more way to publicly embarrass him and an individual by stripping them naked before the world. For what motivated Jesus during this time, we turn to Hebrews chapter 12, 1 and 2, which uh, says in verse 2, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. And this is where we left off last time when we previously looked at Psalm 22. So I'm going to start with a turning point in the Psalm, which is verse 19 uh, through 21, which says, But you, Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of the lions. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. So there are pleas for deliverance from the power of dogs, from the lion's mouth, from the horns of the wild oxen. And this shifts to an acknowledgement for an answered prayer. Is Fred out there? Fred, you there? Okay. Um, there is a single past tense. In Hebrew, it's called the perfect tense. At the very end of verse 22, for a dramatic effect. It does not come across in the New International Translation. The reason I was going to ask Fred to read verse 22 is he has a new King James Version. Does anybody have that version? Can you read verse 22, please? 
Um, the end of verse uh, 21, sorry. 21. There you go. That's it. That's completely different from the New International Version. And uh, what's different about it is the last word in the Hebrew is past tense. It's no longer a request. It's no longer a plea. It's, it's past tense. You have answered me. They can say all of that in one word in the Hebrew. Past tense, you have answered me. Um, and that's the way a couple of Hebrew scholars have translated, and that's the way the, the New King James translates it. The same word that's used there is used way back up at verse uh, 2, where it says, Oh my God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. It's not the word rescue. You didn't answer him in verse 2, and now, in the midst of hanging on the cross, Jesus says, the Messiah says, you have answered me. Do you get the meaning here? You have answered me right now while I'm on the cross. So remember, this is the mind of the one suffering through the crucifixion as he prays through Psalm 22. From this point on, the one who is suffering praises God for what he will do, he no longer focuses on the mockers, on the insults, on his physical suffering. It is all praise from here on out and who he's going to tell about what God has done for him. Look at the shift in verse 21. So if we look at verse uh, 22, I will declare your name to my people in the assembly. I will praise you. This is quoted uh, by the writer in Hebrews in uh, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10 through 12. I want to read that uh, passage. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse uh, 10, it says, In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters in the assembly. I will sing your praises. That's a quotation from Psalm 22, verse 22. And Jesus is speaking according to the writer of Hebrews. That is, the writer of Hebrews identifies the person speaking in Psalm 22 as the Messiah. This is one reason that I believe that Jesus continues to think through Psalm 22 while he's on the cross. The context uh, for the rest of the psalm comes from verse uh, 25, where the Messiah refers to, um, from, from you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vows. So we have to go back to uh, the book of Leviticus and the book of Deuteronomy. And in those books, um, God encourages the Israelites who had made a vow uh, to God and had seen an answered prayer, they're told to make a sacrifice and then have a feast and share their good news with those who are in need and with the Levites. They were then to tell the entire assembly what God had done for them. And so we see this happening in the rest of Psalm 22. The suffering Messiah now has a new mission, and that is to tell others that God has answered his prayer and is worthy of all praise. 
So he first starts with telling the, the Israelites in verse 22 and 23, uh, when he says, I will declare your name to my people in the assembly. I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him, revere him. All you descendants of Israel. So they are to commanded to praise him, to honor him, to revere him. And the reason is given in verse 24. He has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. So we described in detail uh, the way the Romans brutalized uh, their victims by crucifying them and the physical beating that Jesus endured. But Susie reminded me that there were many thousands who were crucified by the Romans and that brutal to torture was not what paid the penalty for our sins nor was this the worst that Jesus endured. The worst that he endured was that the Lord placed our sins upon him, and he was our substitute and endured God's wrath. I want us to take a look at another passage in Isaiah, Isaiah 53. It says, He was despised and rejected by mankind a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That's the essence of what we believe about what happened on the cross. If you can imagine when we go to communion of God the Father laying on Jesus the penalty for your sins. And he cries out. And God says, satisfied. That's what I imagine when I'm thinking, when I'm taking communion. But that's what's happening. Uh, we believe this by faith. So let's go back to the rest of verse uh, 24 in uh, Psalm 22, which reads, he has not hidden his face from him and he has listened to his cry. Again, referring to the one that's suffering uh, in this passage. This is something that's happened to Jesus while he's on the cross right at that point. It's not going to happen in the future. It's happening to him right now. In verse uh, 26, uh, refers to the poor eating and being satisfied. Can, can you think of anything in the Gospels in which Jesus refers to a great feast and inviting people to that? Yes. Yes. The wedding supper? Yes. Are we invited to a great feast? That's what, that's what we're looking forward to. He's going to invite people from all different walks of life, isn't he? And that's what's promised to his disciples uh, when we're going to see him again. In verse 27 through 31, now the mission goes beyond Israel. And the mission is extended to the Gentiles. It says all the ends of the earth and all the families of nations. It includes the poor and the rich. The word for rich literally means the fat ones. Um, if you can imagine in other societies, um, if you're lean, you probably get to eat once a day. And if you're 
rich, you probably get to eat as much as you want. So oftentimes people who are uh, fatter is referring to self-sufficient, arrogant. And these people who are rich have set aside their arrogance and they are worshiping alongside those who cannot even keep themselves alive, it says in one verse. It even says future generations and a people yet unborn, that's us, will hear this message. This reminds me, and doesn't it remind you, of Jesus telling his disciples to take his message from Jerusalem outward. There are several passages that remind me of that. Matthew 28 comes to mind in Acts 1.8, but I want us to look at Luke 24, verse 44 through 49. Jesus appeared to his disciples and he said to them in verse 44, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. We see in Psalm 22, some of the things that were fulfilled in the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with on high, from on high. And what is the message and what are we to declare? The message from the Messiah is in verse 31. He has done it. In John 19.30, Jesus says, it is finished. Same type of thing, isn't it? And then it says he gave up his spirit. He died. That's the essence of the gospel. What we could not do, he has done. Paul writes it succinctly in 2 Corinthians 5.21, which reads, God made him who knew no sin, sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He took our place. That's the essence of my understanding of what happened on the cross. If you feel some pressure on your chest, um, that's not a heart attack coming on. That's the Spirit of God convicting you of the truth of Psalm 22. Jesus died for you, the just for the unjust. He has broken down the wall that we built that kept us from knowing God. He himself is the way of peace with God. And by believing in him, you can have peace with God. If you feel a tug in your heart, please come talk to me uh, right after the end of the service today. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you so much for what Jesus has done for us willingly in our place to suffer for our sins and to open the way that we can have a relationship with you. We're so grateful. Um, we're overflowing with gratitude. Uh, we know that uh, we are loved, and we know that we're part of your family. We look forward to participating in communion, um, and uh, we just thank you. Amen.